Hi, and welcome to Stephen and Kai Fix the World. This is a chat show about nothing in particular, but here are some highlights. The alluring smell of bacon eating insects sounds like a great idea. And Grandma just to hold on while the driver speeds off down the... The thing is, oh, I've tested, I've seen Tesco's for selling segways. Alright, so, so Stephen, I've got, I've got a confession to make. Oh. Uh, I used to be a vegetarian. Oh. Um, but I'm no longer a vegetarian. And why might that be? Um, well... Was it the alluring smell of bacon sandwiches? N- no, I'm actually not a massive fan of bacon. Um, so, being a vegetarian for me was like, it was a multi-part thing. So you have, obviously, animal cruelty. I think that's that's pretty uh, a pretty big part of it. But then you've also got things like um, the environment. So we could feed more people if we grew plant-based crops instead of feeding feeding animals to then eat. Um, and I also thought it was healthier at the time. Um, but eventually, after eight years, I packed it in. Oh. What was the first meat product you ate? Oh, knowingly. It, it wasn't... Yeah, knowingly. That's another... Oh, sorry. Yeah, the fourth... Yeah. The, one of the reasons why I quit as well is lots of things that you think are vegetarian... In fact, aren't vegetarian. Um, so the, the first meat product that I ate wasn't even very good. It was a slice of wafer thin ham, and um, my girlfriend came in to find me by the fridge in the dark. <laughs> so I came in, came out of the shadows, and I said to her, "Lisa, I've eaten some ham." <laughs> Look, I'll do it again. So I opened the fridge and ate another another bit of ham. And obviously having been vegetarian for so long, she had taken a bit back, but couldn't keep in that this was in fact for her lunch tomorrow, so please stop. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) And it's all very tragic, really. Um, I mean, part of the... Part of the problem is I still think that being a vegetarian or being a vegan is is right. It's the right choice to make. But I've kind of given up, in a sense. Yeah, I always... I've never been able to stick to a plant-based diet. I mean, I tried eating corn for a week, a few weeks, a while back, just to see if I felt better for not eating any meat. And while it being moderately tasty when cooked correctly. I think that's the biggest problem with corn. I've always heard people complain about it. And I've always asked them how do they cook it and they often say they cooked it with just like nothing. Just like, oh, they, they just fried it or cooked the sausages in the oven. It's like, well, of course it's not going to taste that great because it's not, well, in my opinion, because it's not meat. It's not meat. But when you cook it with a decent sauce, like the corn mince, cook that with a hot sauce, oh, it was gorgeous. It was fine. I didn't notice it wasn't meat, to be quite honest. Well, yeah, I mean, like, if you're eating mint, you you know, you're not eating it because you, you don't get that textural sort of thing, do you? Um, well, you do get a sort of texture, but it's it's not like eating a steak where no. you get a different different sensation yeah. altogether. Um, yeah, but, like, when it comes to corn, the plo- and this is not really bashing corn because it, it is what it is. It's a really helpful meat substitute that I ate for a very, very long time and ate a lot of corn. Um, so thank you very much for, for making corn and keeping me alive, making sure I'm not dead. But um, one of the problems with it is, say that you get 
the protein macro that you require. And it's actually quite a small, small thing in, in your dietary requirements, but the quality of the proteins that you eat does have an effect over time. So when you read up on, on the proteins that you eat, you bump into the idea of complete proteins and incomplete proteins. And soy protein is unfortunately an incomplete protein. It's like the protein that you get in rice. And if that's your, your main source of protein, that, that all of a sudden becomes a bit of a problem because it, it stacks up over, over months and, in my case, years and years and years. And you, can, you could find pictures of me when I was like a rake. Um, now, I'm fat, but that's because I eat meat. Yeah, meat does contain a higher fat content than corn does because I think corn is designed to contain less fat, which is why some people on a diet will switch to corn, even if they're not switching to being a veggie switch to corn because the fat content is a lot lower. Yeah, it's and really really great for controlling the yeah. number of calories that go in your mouth. I know that some, especially vegans, often need supplements to keep their vitamin levels up because a lot of the vitamins that we get in our diet come from meat and animal-based products, mm. um, which is why I've never... I understand veganism and vegetarianism to a point that there is animal, there are issues with animal cruelty and nobody can deny that. There are issues with how the infection effect on the environment. Again, nobody can argue that growing animals is hideously inefficient compared to just growing crops to be, but the demand for all meat is there. And there was that um, thing from Amsterdam where they made meat in a dish. Mm. They grew meat in a lab and it was almost indistinguishable from the real thing. I think the only problem they found was the fat content and adding the fat was with the taste of the fat I think is the problem they've got at the moment. Once they've conquered that and grow it effectively I don't think it'd be long before we do start seeing animal products being phased out for these lab-grown alternatives. Well, I mean... Whereas, the, because the meat grown in the lab is grown from animal cell. It, it is still an animal cell that's being used. It's a cell that's being grown in a, in a petri dish as opposed to an animal being slaughtered. Whereas corn is grown from fungus, I believe. It's a, it's a <laughs> mushroom-based product. So there's... There is a there is a distinct dis, dis, distinction there between animal based products and then I suspect we'll start seeing a third category of products that are grown artificially and where vegetarians as a whole and vegans will stand on that I don't know because they're still eating what could be argued as animal cells but no animals are being slaughtered in the process because this is just a block of cells reproducing which is no different to how a fungus or plant is grown. So, um, I mean, obviously you can't speak for every vegan or no. vegetarian. I think everybody's got their own personal reasons for for making a dietary choice. Yeah. Um, I suspect that for some some vegans and vegetarians that would in no way be a problem. I suspect for um, a lot of them it would be. It would be fine. And there's also the, the topic of insects. Oh, yeah. In, in, eating insects eating is a viable insects. food source. I'm, I, I find this one quite quite difficult to, to wrap my there's head around. the gross factor. Uh, don't they sell chocolate ants in Harrods? Uh, that's the shop in London. I think so. Maybe we can we uh, can find that one out quite quickly. Yeah, it's quite quite a well known thing. I think eating chocolate ants. I'm not not crazy. I'm uh, just gonna grab this up on the Oracle. Yeah, it chocolate. Is a, it is a real product. It's oh, a real gosh. product. Uh, currently unavailable though, because nobody yeah. wants to buy it. <laughs> um, I mean, I I find it quite. I'm I'm a bit funny with food, as as you might might expect yeah. but um so I, I find eating insects although it sound, sounds like a great idea from like an economic point of view yeah. 
just a bit gross. Yeah, and um, that's that is my problem. They can they can make flour from ground up crickets and loca. And how is that more efficient than growing wheat? Well, it's a space issue. They can they grow uh, currently. We grow insects for consumption for reptiles for anim- for animals. Mm. We grow insects, and insects use less water than a plant does to grow to full mm. size. That's true. They have exceedingly quick life cycles. Some don't. Some insects don't, but some insects they reproduce so quickly, and the taste is is for some part almost indistinguishable from the other meats that are available on the market. But well, how do you say that? Like you've tried it? I can't say I have, but I've seen. I've seen a video on YouTube. Oh, we'll, some people we're going to try it. We'll have to get on <laughs> with something. But one of the products available, as like I said, was a wheat made of, like a flour based on crickets, and mm-hmm. it apparently allegedly has a nutty taste. Apparently, it just gives. So if you cook it's something, a bit nutty. it just gives it a bit of a nutty. <laughs> and but there's no texture because it's ground. It's just ground into a fine powder. And yeah, it's in some cultures. In like well, South yeah. America and South and Africa, insects were a delicacy and a staple of the diet because they just they're needed. I mean, so I, this is almost certainly a cultural thing, and I, I'll tell you a story. Um, when I was just finishing school, I went to go get a summer job, and I got offered a job in France, um, working on a caravan park, and it, it didn't work out in the end, but. Um, cause I, it ended up working, me working for like a euro, euro an hour. It was a, I was yeah. like, no, I'll do something else. Um, but I flew out to France and we ordered a pizza and my French is catastrophic. Um, to the point where I accidentally managed to order a horse pizza. Oh. Now to this day, <laughs> I am still really wary of slowly. Yeah, it's just, it, but that that just really bothered me. I'm like, oh, that, because I just went for a word that I recognised. Oh, cheval? Is it cheval or cheveur? I'm not sure, because one means hair, one means horse. I am terrible at learning languages. But it's just, I mean, I it's, it is so stupid as well. We, as Westerners, have this idealistic image of animals in our heads. So we, we look at a pig and we think, for food we look at a horse and we think of horse racing and we don't think of them as food whereas they're still animals they're I think still... it's quite a British thing really I, I don't know when, what it's like and on the rest this, of the this, but... this fear of eating insects comes from it stems from when in the colonial days when they used to go and into the new countries and they'd we, yeah it was the United Kingdom would just seem to invade anywhere that would have land on it um, they would meet these tribes and tribes, and in order to paint them as savages back home, the newspapers and the reports that would come through would would talk about insects, and they'd talk about it as eat, you know something that savages did, something that people less sophisticated than we did, and that's where it's come from in our society and cultures. It's come from this, um, oh, this is what the savages do. Mm, and um, it's a very racist way of. It was a very racist way of portraying it, but it, it was a different time, which is no excuse, but it was how. They sold it to the British public of, oh, we must take, we must go here because these people don't know what they're doing, and we will make it better. And it was the colonial England, which was a different, which is a different discussion entirely, and whether colonialism was a good thing or not. Well, just just as a side note, um, colonialism is certainly not a great thing. Um, definitely, I, I would argue not a good thing at all. But um, 
just as a side note, I think it's far older than than that. Yes. Um, if you look at what the Romans were writing about the Caledonians and the Welsh, yeah, um, they intentionally painted them as cannibals, yeah, um, and headhunters to make them seem like savages yeah. that they could civilize and bring into the Roman Empire. And yeah. it's really not a new tactic. It, it, no, it's it goes you back. It goes back a long, long, long way, and probably even before the Romans, probably the ancient Greeks did it. Yeah. Um, you, if you want to sell a war, you have to paint your enemy as being these ridiculous savages that need taming. Or barbarian, I think. Or barbarian. Word, which I think. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the Crash Course History, the first one? I may have done. Um, so, so in that, John Green, the guy who who uh, presents it, explains that. The word barbarian is actually an ancient Greek word, and it's for anybody who didn't speak Greek, because yeah. all their all their languages just sounded like bar, 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 bar. Um, and I think that that word barbarian is important. Yeah. And then food is food is an important part of that. Yeah. You, you know, if you look at things like the Bible um, in Leviticus, where uh, which is really really fascinating. Uh, in, I promise. <laughs> Um, in Leviticus, where you know you get a load of uh, rules for how to run your society and what food you should eat, that's almost, in a sense, differentiating your tribe from everybody else's tribe, so that you can have a sense of collective identity. I, I think oh, maybe it's an inspired word of God, but I'm, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, and that makes uh, it's one of those things that history has just turned into a taboo. I think the insect eating, but even now in our foods that we eat every day, there are insect parts in things that we eat. I think there's a thing about peanut butter can quite often contain some... Really? Yeah, it's quite common for peanut butter to contain insect parts and there's an oh, acceptable no. limit per... Oh. But also honey. We, we collect honey from bees. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's... And, um, there is... I think occasionally a bit of bee might get... <laughs> probably, yeah. Can we get put in there. And what honey... Honey is bee vomit. Yeah, honey is bee vomit, and, and that, that really so bothers me. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm I'm honey not a mess. I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to eat anything, man. I know, I do quite like honey when it's on things. And it, I have to kind of forget that what's what's in it when I eat it. Because, My, sorry. Because I do, I, I do quite like it, but oh, would I stop short of eating you know, honey with bees in it? Yes, I would, because in my mind, the way I've been brought up and the way my society is, I just, there's something about the idea of eating an insect that just puts me right off. Mm, there you go, that, that's not food. Um, yeah. But a, a bit like milk. Yeah, okay. yeah. Milk's quite an obvious one, but like a chicken. Like I, I, I've got a, a secret theory that all of human progress is just, or the, at least the first bit of it, is just people losing bets. So like, <laughs> hey, Ugg, hey, Ugg, look what came out the back of that. Right, a day to eat it. Yeah. Go on then. Yeah. And then... I'd That's eat, it, you have to eat I'd, it because yeah. you lost a bet. Um, or, or, like, fire must have been an accident. Okay, fire sounds... In, uh, we don't know how fire was discovered, because it was definitely not invented, but it, it was discovered. And I do suspect it was two people messing around with stones, or people just going, hey, look, I can make sparks with this. Oh, I should be able to set fire to everything. But, again, as well, like, people back then would have would have known more or less what you could eat and what was poisonous. They would have eaten, they would have known what they can and can't eat by by literally trial and error. They would have eaten mm. something and gone, hmm, this tastes nice, oh, this tastes bad, oh, this tastes nice, but now I'm dead. Mm. We don't, those 
we learn through experience. And, and back in those days, we would have learned quite quickly which mushrooms we can and can't eat by looking at them. Knowledge that would have been passed down from generation to generations, don't eat the spotty mushrooms. So we would have, we would have told that to our children. But then you've got a whole new dynamic of, well, let's cook this food, because there's quite a lot yeah. of foods that are poisonous until you cook them. Yes. And, and then that's a whole load more people that had to lose bets. <laughs> do you see where I'm going with this <laughs> yeah foods that don't taste nice until they're cooked and I do wonder how they cooked it and I wonder if there was something of somebody just thought you know was just did it as a found a burning animal or something or you know I, I do wonder how those things were discovered I mean I get curious as how bread was discovered I mean what made them think I oh, know let's just mix this with this with this it's this oh we need yeast where the hell the hell did they discover yeast they didn't have microscopes where were they getting it from that's true. Um, the only, I only that's know probably one, a fascinating Wikipedia article. I only know where one. I only know where you can get yeast from one place. Oh no! Don't let's not go there. Let's not go right, there. So, so there's probably a Wikipedia article that we need to read on the history of bread. Oh, oh. how bread was discovered. The, but the idea that they were just chucking stuff into a pot, mixing it around, and see sort of what happened. I suspect things like flatbread were discovered first. It's. It's fascinating. And yeah, you've got unleavened bread, yeah. haven't you? And also the, the idea of milking a cow. I think that sounds like a bet. Hey, Ugg, Ugg, a day to go suck the cow's tit. Yeah. Ugg goes and drinks a bit of unpasteurised milk. And promptly probably dies. Or was, or was um, at least sick. Yeah. But, I mean, back then we didn't have antibiotics or anything, so a lot of people probably did die just through experimenting, but the result of that and what we learned, or that particular tribe might have learned. Like the first person to go walk up to a lion and go, here, kitty, kitty. Mm. The rest of the tribe probably learned quite quickly, okay, we don't go to the back of lions. I, I think this is kind of carried on as well, but it's not, not as helpful in the modern age. And we, we actually issue like Darwin Awards for, yeah. for people uh, who've attempted stupid things and yeah. have, have managed to sadly end their lives. Um, but actually, the kind of majesty of human stupidity... As to a lot of our there are things, There are many things that you can always rely on. And one of the things you can always rely on is human stupidity. Yeah. Humans will always do stupid stuff. And that includes... Like recently we've been seeing these people who've been climbing buildings with no, with no support. They're just literally climbing up a building with no safety there. And then there was a guy who was taking a selfie and then plunged to his death. And we think... We well, had that coming. Yeah, he, we kind of we saw that coming. And it's a case of he made a reasoned choice to do that this, I mean we can say that he was stupid but I don't think he was stupid because to get that far and climb that high you can't be a complete and utter that's a harsh word yeah, yeah we'll cut that to um, do that you can't be a complete and utter idiot you have to know what you you have to know something about climbing you he, he I find it hard to believe that he was stupid in the sense of unintelligent. I just think his common sense might not have been brought there. Well, like, I don't know, because I, I do a lot of... I, I do kickboxing or taekwondo. Um, and, you know, in terms of a sport, it's essentially about getting kicked in the head repeatedly. Yeah. Um, but there's something that that I enjoy about it that I can't quite put my finger on and I think mountaineering and climbing generally there's something the adrenaline 
the, the adrenaline, I guess, but it's also like a sense of accomplishment. Mm. Um, I don't mean to insult any climbers out there, but it, in a in a way, it's quite a selfish sport, or yeah. it's a, it's a self led sport in that you know I've just climbed the Matterhorn. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is quite a yeah. quite the achievement, but that's also the kind of motivation for it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, so so that's that's the long and short of that. I have completely hit a dead end here. Yeah. Um, so back to a brutal segue, and talking about kind of cultural differences yeah. and food. What you said at the beginning of this was pretty interesting because you said vegans are right. Actually, they you're right. We are cruel to animals. Yeah. I'm going to roast you now. Yeah. Uh, we are cruel to animals. There is an environmental part to this. But they just so, so, so why do you make the choice? It, I make the choice because they taste nice. And I, you know, when I source my meat, I do try my best to source meat from as ethical as can be. Right, you know, right up until the moment the animal is slaughtered, which is not a nice process. We, I expect the animals to be treated with some level of dignity, to be fed properly, to be treated if they're sick, to either be treated or euthanised properly. Um, I, the, the, there is a there is a problem with how it works, but also we are omnivores. As 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 monkey men, our ancestors would have evolved with eating anything they can lay their hands on, whether that's meat, berries, vegetables, whatever it is. We are we are built. Our our jaws and the way our teeth are aligned, we are designed to rip and tear. And I think there's a part of me that just this caveman in me still just enjoys that good rip and tear of a good hunk of meat. I mean, maybe it's the same thing that I do as, as, with my kickboxing, but, um, you know, that's an argument from nature, isn't it? It's There's an appeal to I, nature, which is a not a great... It's a bit of a fallacy. It's a logical fallacy, and you know it. You just don't I know. want to admit it. <laughs> I will admit it. I will admit that my choice to eat meat is, is, a, is, is a hypocritical one. I am aware of the problems of eating meat, but I still choose to do so. Some people aren't aware of those issues or they choose to be ignorant I at least am aware and still and choose to but I am at least self-aware enough to say no no there is an issue with this and if there is an alternative that becomes more available then I will choose it but at the moment not it's not always easy to make that choice mm. um, I mean re really I shouldn't roast Stephen because I've made exactly the same choice but I've my reasons are a bit different, yeah. I guess. When when you see security camera footage of some abattoir in personnel punching a pig in the face, that's not right. There's no way that's right at all. And that employee, rightly, I think, should lose his job and be banned from working with animals. Somebody who abuses their dog should not be allowed to have pet dogs. Somebody who abuses racehorses, and racehorses that's are abused, and they are, and that is a problem with racehorses. The poor animals are race to death they, you know, these animals should be treated with at least some respect before they're you know, before they're cold um, and it's a very it's very difficult to do that you, it's very mm. eating eating animals for me is not just a I want to it is a I, I it is a part of my diet. It's how my diet functions. You're not willing to change a diet to, to accommodate that? Not at this current time. My mm. my diet is my diet. 
necessarily a good one, and I acknowledge that the diet isn't a good one. But there's also a convenience issue. Yeah. How convenient is it to go and pick up a ham sandwich and without even thinking about it? Quite often, if I'm buying pre-made sandwiches to take to work the next day, or if I'm going into Subway, I will often have the first thing that appeals to me, and that could be, you know, ham and cheese sandwich. Well, I mean, this is part of the reason why I stopped being a vegetarian was I thought I was being a good vegetarian when in reality I wasn't. So I never went to become a vegan because I spend a lot of time on the road because of my job. I'm I'm out and about all the time, and you can get an egg and cress sandwich just about anywhere. Yeah. And uh, as much as I would love to, I can't just live off fruit. I'm sorry, I need need something other than simple carbohydrates. Yeah. So I've, I found it really difficult to be a vegan on the road. Mm. Um, so I I find myself defaulting to things like a cheese sandwich or uh, an egg and cress sandwich, but then. You know, when it when it comes to that, things like bread aren't vegetarian. Um, and that that sounds crazy, but quite often there are animal-based products which are used to uh, put things like omega three into bread. Yeah. Um, the bleach that they use to make white bread uh, is bleached with cow bones, or at least that's what I've read. Um, I'll have to dig out where I found that out. But there are lots of things out there which you think are vegetarian, which in fact aren't. So then the next choice is to go vegan, but that becomes very, very difficult to do so uh, when you're out and about moving. And I think vegans actually get a really tough time when they're, when they're uh, just away from their kitchen because they don't get the chance to prepare their own food. And restaurants don't offer enough dishes. There was a brilliant Facebook post going around about a vegan who ordered a me at a restaurant that said they had a vegan option were basically given a plate of red onions and tomatoes. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not really a, a vegan option. There's, there's no. loads of really great vegan, vegan there food is, that you there can is make vegan. out of that. And I've eaten stuff before. I've looked at the label and thought, oh, it's a vegan thing. All right, it's fine. Mm. I won't avoid vegetarian or vegan things because just because, you know, I don't, I'm not a meat-eater on principle. I'm a meat-eater out of, I don't know, I suppose it's almost out of necessity. It's just what my diet is. It's what my diet is. Mm. It's what's available, and it's what I feel I need to keep my, myself going. Mm. As a society, we do need to eat less meat and treat the meat that we do get better. Mm. There are arguments to be had on both sides of the of the plate about that. Just making forcing society to go vegetarian is not going to work. Finding new ways to decrease the amount of meat we eat is always a good option and replacing things with meat substitutes where they're not necessary is always good. What I will say is if we are slaughtering animals we might as well use the whole animal. I hate the idea of an animal going to waste when we have slaughtered it. So if we if we slaughter a cow the leather can the leather can be used, the bones can be used, the everything that can be used should be used. Mm-hmm. And if we're not doing if we're not being efficient with the animals that that actually angers me when we're not efficiently using animals, with the exception of diseased, dead animals that come. Well, I think by and large we kind of are effective with the bodies of animals because there's there's an incentive for companies to be effective. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Um, if you're wasting parts of the cow, financially that hits hits your industries in the in the pocket. And we, we see products like gelatin get into things, yeah. um, which are made out of either beef gelatin or pork yeah. gelatin, t- typically. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are very efficient on the whole, yeah. I think, with, with animals. Yeah. Um, 
The other the other side of it for me was environmental change and uh, climate change. Because without a doubt, and I, I don't know what your opinion is on this, so I'd, or your your thoughts on this would be, but um, meat eating causes climate change. It's a contributing factor, definitely. I, it's not the cause. It's obviously not the cause. We've got we can thank cars and power plants for that, but it's definitely a problem and a cause of global warming. Um, deforestation is caused by farmers making land to, to raise livestock on. We land that we use for livestock could be used to grow crops quite rightly, but we don't because we have to. We, we use it for grow, for growing grass for cows to eat or you know, uh, making space for pigs to be. And that is a definite problem, and that is where organisations like Greenpeace have done good work, and they have helped campaign against destruction of forests, and they've helped protect areas, and there's doing stuff like that is fine, but there are other issues with Greenpeace that I'm not going to go into now. We'll do a Greenpeace episode. <laughs> yeah. They have, you know, we, there is a problem, and I don't know about how much global warming is affected by livestock rearing. I know that it is something. It's about, I think it's about 8% of the carbon dioxide that is put out is yeah. by livestock. And deforestation is also is caused by and uh, the burning of the trees. To yeah, but that, that doesn't forests. really show up in statistics because it's not uh, an amount of carbon dioxide we're putting in. We're actually reducing the Earth's ability to it's reduce oxygen. Eat the carbon dioxide. Yeah, and we're also, we're also um, losing endangered species that could be living in that area of forest. We're reducing the living area of species and we're dry and also um, some indigenous tribes of having their homes destroyed by farmers burning down swathes of forest uncontrollably just to rear some extra cows. And that's that these are all amazingly valid points, right? They are. But yeah. my, my problem is is and this is gonna sound really, really pretentious because I am really pretentious I guess. Um, I'm trying not to be, but there's there's a thing called the the tragedy of the commons is another like logical fallacy out there. So, um, another example where this happened is is with oil and with OPEC. So OPEC have a number of oil barrels they put out every year. Yeah. Only that number is almost always completely false because every party in OPEC has. Um, an incentive to cheat. If you imagine we agree only to sell a certain amount of oil and that keeps the price of oil at a certain price, then you can be sneaky and sell some more oil without lowering that price if you don't declare yeah. it. Um, and that, that's, that causes all sorts of merry hell economically. Yeah. Um, and that, that's one example of, of a tragedy of the commons where every party involved in that system has a, sees benefit by cheating that system. Yeah. And the same thing happens with climate change. So any country that, that has um, climate change regulation actually benefits by cheating on that regulation because they can have unregulated industry all of a sudden, which means economically they win. And you see that with... Um, people like, well, like the current president of the United States, Donald Trump. He's he's a climate change skeptic, a climate change, I wouldn't say a climate change denier, but he's definitely doesn't believe the the scientific literature, the the orthodox uh, point of view there, and so has cancelled a lot of um, stuff with the Kyoto. Is it Kyoto? Kyoto in Paris. 
Paris, Paris Green, right. but I think it was signed in Kyoto, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I, think I might it, be wrong. The, the name's updated many times um, because he sees he sees this for what it is. It's a tragedy, the common situation yeah. where if he's cheating on that game, he gets to win. He gets to put America ahead of everybody else, mm. and it's something he doesn't even believe in anyway. So for me, as a lone vegetarian, going, I want to fight climate change. And then I get somebody like Donald Trump, who comes along and squashes it, I go, well, we're all dead. Yeah. Um, we are now all probably doomed. So, may as well eat meat whilst, whilst well, the shit goes down. <laughs> I, yeah, and I enjoy the taste of what I eat. I, I have no shame in admitting that. You know, I enjoy the food that I have to eat. It is meat, but it tastes nice. It, if it's cooked well, there is cases where you get bad meat. But, but, and it's a definite hypocrisy that I have, but it's, a, it's an acknowledged hypocrisy. So I acknowledge mm. we're in hypocrisy in that matter. And that, I guess that comes back to um, another cultural thing, you know, talking about things like eating insects or, or eating horse. Um, uh, <laughs> there's always been something around being a hypocrite. Yeah. And I think really deep down, we're all hypocrites in some way. And you can always find something or yeah. somebody, it's never pleasant when somebody points out when you have been a hypocrite and you haven't realised it. Mm. But we're all humans, I guess. We're all humans. We're, we're Peace, built. love, man. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're built to be omnivorous and I think to deny that is, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think denying it's going to get us anywhere. I think if we're going to eat meat, we at least need to do the the best we can for the for the creatures for the world. Okay, so so you're a believer in the idea of ethical meat. Yes, um, not necessarily organic. That's another matter. But fair trade and ethically sourced, ethically farmed, the use of animal welfare regulations on these farms, um, the inspectorates that go around, so the RSPCA and other inspectors that go around to inspect these places do have a, a duty of care to the animals and to the to, to the consumer. The consumer needs to know that what they're eating is fit for purpose. And when you go somewhere like KFC, that can sometimes be a little bit questionable. <laughs> um, I think everybody's had a dodgy takeaway, takeout at some point. Yeah. Um, but, so, what I'd say though is that like ethical meat for me, I, I just turn around and say it's, it's an unethical choice that I make. Take it on the chin. Um, way but sorry that was really awful phrasing but it becomes a bit of a moral thicket I guess and again I'm not trying to be be too pretentious here like there's a lot of issues at play there um so so you want to like what does ethical meat look like when you when you raise an ethical animal to you I think I did cover that earlier it's things like when when animals are sick they're taken care of with proper vets being called out to see them they're either if, if necessary the animal's cold when it's you know early and not doesn't enter the food chain so if it's sick with some with certain diseases it shouldn't enter food chain. not using antibiotics and we don't use antibiotics willy-nilly on animals and if we did or, we, or if a farmer is doing that they can actually get in trouble now due to the antimicrobial resistance problem that we've got globally especially on English farms we don't we don't just funnel antibiotics into these animals that can lead to super infections. We'll cover that another time. 
Ethic always seems like free-range chickens. So rather than having them caught up in a barn, having them at least having the freedom to move and the freedom to... So I refuse to buy, if I can help it, caged hens. Or mm-hmm. eggs from caged hens. Mm-hmm. I will pay the extra for that. Pigs, pigs having an open environment to actually go and, you know, wallow in their own crap if that's so what they choose to do. <laughs> you know, a, a decent-sized area. Cows, plenty of grass, you know, taken care of, not... Not fed with hormones. I don't think they are in the UK. I think there were times when they were feeding cows hormones, but not you know, not doing that sort of thing. But also, when it comes to the cull, it's a quick and as painless as possible death for the animal. Um, so no abuse at the, at the factories, which we've seen have happened before at abattoirs, where the employees have, before they cull the animal, abused it, or they haven't done the killing correctly. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing needs to be addressed and, and, and sorted. Have you read um, Life of Pi? I have seen The Life of Pi, the film. I haven't seen the I haven't read the book. Uh, I haven't seen the film, but I have read the book. Um, in the beginning, and I don't know if it's in the film, so this would be fun to find out, but in the beginning it talks a lot about um, the zoo that the, the dad zoo, runs. Yeah. And it explains that, you know, sometimes we can look at a zoo and think that they're inherently cruel institutions. We're keeping animals in a cage and um, they can't escape anywhere, which is definitely the case sometimes. I've seen plenty of horror stories about really badly run zoos. But a well-run zoo is like living in the Ritz. So you've got room service, you don't have to worry about predators, you've got enough space, you've probably got other people to hang around with that you like. Um, And it... Yeah, okay, it's not not freedom, but it's a really luxurious imprisonment. Yeah. Um, And it seems like you're trying to stab at that as an idea. I don't know if that's in the film. No, I don't think so. There is a part in the film where he makes him watch a goat being eaten by the tiger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's quite... I can't remember if he does talk about the the zoo being run like that to the boy in in the film. It might have been one of those scenes that they have to cut time that, I, I get where it's coming from yeah because mother nature is really cruel Ma- nature, really is, is, nature is extremely cruel and through history even to us as humans nature has been cruel you can't deny that especially when humans were still emerging in Africa and still um, still were our earliest, this earliest ancestors they would have been falling victim and this includes children sadly they would have fallen victim to tigers and they would have Horrible things would have happened to to all sorts of people in those days, but it is part of part and parcel of nature mm. that you know you can't you can't expect a lion to not want to eat eat something that he sees as prey. You can't do that, and it's yeah, it's a very interesting evolutionary evolutionary thing that. And the way that we now keep animals in zoos is, a, I think people have ethical arguments about that. But yeah, it is like being in the Ritz, and you do have like a posh imprisonment mm-hmm. if it's run well. And also, yeah, if it's run well, and you have the um, projects that are trying to save the animals from extinction, but then pandas don't like copulating anyway. So oh right, so that that's really interesting because apparently they found out that there's more than one species of like black and white fuzzy panda. Yeah, and they've been putting the wrong species together. 
So no wonder they're not getting on. I think. Yeah. Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> There's nobody thought about this. But again, it's really easy to miss, isn't it? Yeah. They do look really similar. Yeah, I'm surprised nobody, nobody's done a genetic analysis of them all. They probably now that doing something like that is so cheap. It's probably they've only just done one before. Oh, that's why they're not shagging. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Different oh. species. Ah, oh, I see. It's like um, panda penis is an aphrodisiac. In ancient... Is it? Yeah, in ancient China it was an aphrodisiac. Oh, is that, is that why uh, pandas have been like hunted a lot? Yeah. Because in uh, yeah, traditional think, Chinese medicine yeah. it's... And at one point there was a Chinese zoo which was trying to use ancient aphrodisiacs to get the pandas going. You've got this poor male panda and you sat there like, you've been given this aphrodisiac. It's like, oh, I've got the horn. Where's the digit gone? Oh, that's sick, man. That is that is really messed up. It's like cows wearing leather jackets. That's grim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so so kind of the, the animal cruelty thing aspect of it is, so coming back to what you eat, if you could run every farm like that and have the most idyllic possible conditions for your your livestock that might alleviate some of it right it, it won't alleviate it won't it won't remove the problem it will just because the problem is obviously the effect that moving animals has um of global warming and you know ethic, ethically you're still having to kill these animals well ethically i think the um, what you call the externality, which is the, the posh way of saying that the, the other effects that a company has, is really important. And that environmental thing is part of the ethical thing, surely. Yeah. Should we be moving meat across the country just so you can have uh, a burger on, on a whim? Or should we have locally sourced food that only moves, like, 50 mm. miles? There's an argument about the scale of economics, a bigger farm with more animals might have a bigger carbon footprint, but the sum of lots of the smaller farms may be bigger than this one. So you could have 10 farms that produce the same meat as one mega farm, but that mega farm, because it's one farm, could produce less of a carbon footprint and actually run more efficiently than the smaller farms. Um, that's something that only an economist economist and a farmer would know about really I, I'm not yeah there, I'm there's not. probably somebody out there who's like an agriculture agricultural an expert economist economist or an, ex, an expert who would probably know about the scale of how efficient small local farms are they probably serve a community and serve a purpose but you know you've got the big greenhouses that can grow food all year round whereas some of the smaller farms have, don't have the facilities to do that but but they could grow other crops through the winter and through the rest of the year. That is something I don't know enough about farming to know how how smaller farms operate compared to a bigger farm. Because some small farms will have like their own little farm shop, whereas the big giant mega farms might only supply to Sainsbury's and Tesco's and people like that. Mm. I think there are some big giant farms that, that provide the veg to both Tesco's and Sainsbury's at the same time, or they provide to multiple. You know, provide to multiple supermarkets because there's only so much broccoli that Tesco's would probably buy at once and yeah, farms probably left with excess stock so I'm not surprised if the bigger farms or the farm like the one we have down the road from here I wouldn't be surprised if they have multiple people who buy from them mm, yeah probably yeah whether they be wholesalers as well I suspect wholesalers buy from the same places that the supermarkets do 
Well, I don't know if you've ever been around the corner, but there's a, there's a little place. Um, you have to go there really, really early. It's like a vegetable market, and okay. the veg all the vegetable sellers go Going. drive there at like four o'clock in the morning, buy a load of fruit and veg, then flog on. Yeah. Later on in the day, it's like the fish markets when they when they come in from the the shore, the catch all the different fishing boats will go to the market and have all their catch. And then exactly the same bring thing. The man from the man from Tesco's might come along and he'll go, I'll have all of the fish from this person, and I'll have some of the fish from this person. So. Mm-hmm. It's an economic, I think it's economics of scale, really. The demand, whatever demand there is, determines how much they'll pay and buy. Hmm. Yeah, totally. Um, but again, I'm not a farming expert. I can't give a completely accurate. No, we need to go see a farmer. We I'm need like, to go see a farmer. Yeah, yeah we're like, all right, all right. how do we do this? <laughs> yeah. Did you hear about, like, uh, I think it was an NFL player. Um, he packed in with the NFL, so he had enough. And taught, bought himself a farm and taught himself to farm via YouTube. Yeah, I've heard about that. But he had the money to do it. He had the money and probably had enough money to lot. fund it. And probably, I suspect he had help. I doubt. I mean, I, I'd like to believe that he did it all from YouTube. But I suspect he had a little bit of advice coming in from other sources as well. Yeah, Monsanto looking at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wouldn't um, be surprised. Just other local farmers. He must have gone to farmers markets and meets and met the other farmers because yeah. that's. that's Farming is really hard, though. Yeah, it's hard, it's long days, really and expensive. Yeah, so I, I, I'm surprised how that they even turn a profit on them on, on some of the stuff that they do because they wouldn't operate. Mm, well, I think it's become harder, hasn't it? Because, I mean, I, the whole world varies, but here in the UK, we've got what five big supermarkets. Yeah. Well, I went to Sainsbury's earlier today. Hashtag shilling for Sainsbury's. <laughs> um, they. They were selling veg for 25p. And you think, how, how is anyone making a profit on a whole bro- lump of broccoli for 25p? How, you know, how far down the chain before that gets... How much of that actually did the uh, farmer make? Right, so I, I know this because I did a bit of accountancy. <laughs> this is going to keep go. coming up. Um, so, so some things that you see in a supermarket are what, what we call a loss leader. Uh-huh. So you lose money on that one product, but nobody goes to Sainsbury's to buy a 25p. 25p bit of broccoli no. they'll buy other stuff which you do make a profit on yeah. but actually having insanely cheap things sometimes draws more buyers in yeah. and that affects yeah. their spending habits well, this which is enough, they're buyers. actually competing with Tesco's who are offering 29p edge. I bought a 29p bag of potatoes I don't even need potatoes <laughs> uh, for a family of two yeah. they are more potatoes than we will eat but they were 29p we might have to go to get some shopping later today. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> just, just. Put, what's on your shopping list? No, that's really boring. My shopping list. Lots of meat. Food. Food. Lots of meat. Food in general. Some meat. <laughs> meat and probably some some carrots, broccoli, peas, stuff that I can stick in the freezer to last the winter. Yeah, because it's going to be a difficult long it's winter. It's going to be a cold winter here on the south coast of England. Yeah. Um, at least it's not the north. Yeah. At least, yeah. The thing is, I, I test, did you see Tesco's were selling Segways? Really? Or, yeah, they had Segways. What, what kind of Segways? Brutal ones. Brutal Segways? They had some brutal Segways on offer. It's, it's the, the brutal, brutal Segway! So after that musical escapade, uh, on a completely unrelated note, the police. Yeah, um, which brings us to our balls of steel. 
Yeah, this is a segment called Balls of Steel. And um, on the Beeb today uh, is an officer called, I'm trying to think, his surname's Cossack. Cossack. As in like Cossack. He's an American um, policeman who, who managed to hold on to a door. While the car was well, speeding away down the, down the motorway. And this officer held on all the way down and was in, I think he was eventually thrown off the car and still managed to get up. Do you think we can play the, um, play the clip? I'll find the clip, yeah. And we'll put a link. We shall put a link in the description. Well, we will find a way to put the link up. But yeah, th this, this guy is an absolute hero. <laughs> so, the cop stops the car, asks for the driver's licence, and then the car just begins to drive away, in which time the police officer grabs the door, opens it, and manages to hold on while the driver speeds off down the... You can see it there, he's trying to close the door yeah. on the police officer. Yeah, he's trying to close the door, and unfortunately the police officer does come off the car at some point, but then we... I mean, how was he holding on to that? He must have been just, like, on the edge of the door. So yeah. that's, like, some yeah. serious... John Cusack. Oh, there we go. And he's he's survived the initial being thrown off of the car at high speed. But then he held on long enough for the other car to be... The car to be stopped. And the other officers were on scene quite quickly. But that takes balls of steel. Yeah, it does. That um, is serious balls. And he's recovering well after having an operation. He's apparently in good spirits. So, um... Hell of yeah. a ride. <laughs> hell of a ride. Yeah, talk about hell of a ride. But, yeah, I mean, it takes balls just to be a police officer now. The Yeah? I find that the disrespect that people have for the police now is 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 quite amazing. And they don't always deserve it. There, there, there are bad eggs. But there's that, you get that in every industry. There will be bad eggs and people who let the standards down, but... This is more of an exception rather than a rule. See, I, I don't know. I, th I think um, any police officers that I know are welcome to comment, but if you're interacting with the police, most of the time it'll be kind of mundane things almost, but then the police's job is obviously to catch people causing problems. Yeah. And you're always going to have an adversarial relationship with somebody you're trying to nick. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and... The, the disrespect I mean is when, if you're speeding, and people, I've seen shows like Road Wars, and I know that these shows are showing the clips, the interesting clips, but also in general conversations I've had, people are just so, they're so negative towards it, and they seem to have a go at the police officers just for doing their job. It's like, you were speeding, you're, you're in the wrong, there's no point gobbing off the police officer, just because they stopped you from, you know, they stopped you because you were in the wrong. Mm, that's really controversial. But And, yeah, there are, I mean, people can argue about whether a speed limit is, you know, justified or not. But when, but when you were speeding, and they've, and, you know, we, we won't, we'll, we'll, you know, I know that there's a margin of how fast people were going, but when somebody was clearly, clearly speeding mm. and getting stopped, it's the, but also people say things like, oh, the police are having their budgets cut. Well, I think they have just been given some extra funding, but how much that translates to in real terms, I don't know. But with their numbers being cut and officers having to deal with definitely these new types of crimes that just... It's modern policing. I don't 
I don't think has has been updated. We now have cybercrime, we have online harassment, we have money being stolen electronically. This is such a difficult thing for the police to manage because how do they manage it? How well, what we I know that there are cyber there are teams set up to help deal with these crimes on especially the online the online crimes, but how but having a go at the police, you know, the police officer, the bobby on the beat, as it were, because you were scammed electronically, it's a, it's a completely different issue. It's something I think people forget that they're not. Well, what, what, so a quick little story. Um, in the town where I used to live, uh, we had sort of a load of terrorist, terrorist houses. And uh, it's a really sleepy place. Right, crime's not really a thing. You wouldn't really have to lock your car. It's a really boring part of the UK. Um, but there's this phantom graffiti artist who wasn't even very good. And he'd turn up with a permanent marker and would write vaguely offensive things like bomb the English and lots of like controversial stuff on the pristine white painted walls of people's houses as he walked past. And I suspect this is a dude coming back from the pub. Um, now I get a knock on the on the uh, front door, and I open it, and then to my surprise, there are two police officers stood out there and wanted to have a chat, um, which is scary in and of itself. But it was nothing nothing to do with us, and they um, they asked us, and I, I can I can say this because I've not told you where I was or uh, anything other than what I'm about to tell you. They asked us if we could put a camera in our house to look at the wall opposite our house, which had in fact been graffitied. Mm. Um, to which I said, yes, actually, let's give it a go. Yeah. So nothing, don't hear anything for, for a long time. And then maybe three or four weeks later, I get this uh, police officer come round and mm. install the camera, which is very well hidden. Uh, some clever stuff, which I don't really want to say just in case yeah. um, other people find out about it and it's useful information for criminals looking at you criminals um and installed it in our house looking at this wall which had been graffitied several times by this dude with a permanent marker and had been repainted each time um but i got chatting to the the police officer who was installing this this bit of equipment to essentially spy on this wall and stop this guy catch this guy and he he was saying because he'd been in the police force for a long time he was in the army and then he did i think maybe five years in the army and then went over to joined the police force, and he ended up working in CCTV, etc. But he, he says he's seen the culture change over time. And it's changed from uh, kind of policing and always being a presence. So Bobby's on the beat sort yeah. of thing. You local village Bobby, who everybody would know, and yeah. would nick you if you'd been naughty, to what he, what he described as firefighting policing. So that's when you go out to a problem. You don't maintain a presence because... That's really costly it is, and costs yeah. too much money. So you just go to problems to try and solve them when you need them. So that's not not my words, um, but the words of a police officer yeah. who's who's serving. And there is a yeah, firefighting policing does it is a more cost effective way to do things. But I don't. There are times when I think crime prevention is necessary to to prevent the crimes happening in the first place is quite important and. The use of CCTV is one way that people can do that, although it's not a particularly popular way to do things. I don't think anyone really likes the idea of being spied on all the time. 
that the worst the worst examples I see is when you get some little shit walking past a police car and starts giving it all giving it all his fingers and doing that and there's no when I mean I was always brought up to respect the police and the police officers and you know just to treat them with respect and that if you're not in trouble they're not gonna uh, do any hassle and any interaction I have had with the police has been positive I have been pulled over once I was doing a little bit faster than I should have been but I didn't give it a go I just was like yeah okay I didn't get a ticket or anything but if I would have sat there and gobbed off at this officer I probably would have got a ticket and they wouldn't they wouldn't have appreciated it but we also have examples of officers like the one we just talked about a minute ago and we've also got the officer who sadly died when the lunatic ran at Downing Street with a knife was it Downing Street or was it Parliament it was, no it was Parliament mm, when yeah, he had a yeah. knife attack there you, these officers who people have given disrespect for and but also there are there have been failings of the police but I don't think and people seem to be blaming the average Bobby and it seems to be who who's taking the brunt of the blame but it's 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 people. It's really, it's really I mean, what what I'd what I would say to this is that actually a lot of what we hear to do with British policing is negative press, yeah. and it's very difficult for them to get positive press because yeah. saying that crime has gone down for the past ten years mm. or longer is actually not newsworthy it's not a sound bite that you can kind of put out there and we never hear actually how effective the police are because mm. you know be, being part of the UK we have some of the safest mm. streets some of the safest towns in the whole world we're really yeah. lucky to have such an effective police force I think there's a kind of a cultural thing as well I mean British people won't even complain if our food's rubbish in the restaurant so that probably has some sort of effect on crime yeah. uh, as the whole, on the whole um, but yeah the, the, the police you know is, is, a, is a very big organisation it's trying to it serve big, yeah. 70 million people plus um, and it's obviously never going to be going to be a perfect organisation um, and there are things which which do bother me about the police, um, which doesn't mean that they're worthy of any disrespect. I'm not saying that, but there are some things that where I kind of raise a philosophical point almost. Mm. Like when you go down to an airport, one of the things that I find really intimidating intimidating is being around guns. So, mm. so when I see a policeman with uh, an MP5 yeah. strapped to his chest just, just walking around... I look at that and feel intimidated, which is probably kind of the point. But but also kind of from my perspective, I look at that fully automatic weapon and see a man at ground level and then realise that that may not be the most effective weapon for the, the job. No. If you do have to use that, then... If, you have to, if a police officer has to use that, something's gone wrong somewhere. It should never have got that far. It, what, and what I mean by that is... If it was a terrorist attack, it should have. The failing has happened at not detecting that before it got to that stage. But quite often, if some lunatic's coming at you with an exploding backpack, the gun's not going to help you. Well, yeah. e even if. So, so the problem with somebody attacking a, an airport is they're unlikely to make themselves known until they've, they've done what they've done. Yeah. Or if the device fails. 
Um, hopefully we can catch them before then. Yeah. That that is very true. Well, but it, it was on the news recently. The um, agent, you know, whatever intelligence agency, caught, you know, stopped a plot that was going to happen in Christmas yeah, Day. Yeah, they're trying yeah. to assassinate Theresa May. Yeah, I think there was another one as well. I think they've caught one. Oh, another one. There's another uh, one. They, they stop a lot of people. MI5 I, are really, I really on it. I suspect a lot more gets stopped than we ever, ever hear about. We only ever hear about the ones that get through. Yeah. We'd only ever, either hear about the ones that get through or the, or the ones that get to the point where, you know, they can't cover it. They can't cover it up. The sort of thing where the raid happens and it's so obvious that something's gone down. Mm-hmm. But the ones where they just, you know, pick up one person on a single terrorism charge, the media might never even get, get whiff of it because a lot of, I think, courts now can be closed. They can have closed courts. So mm. the media can be kept out of the court, which is where some people make an argument that they'll happily have a fair trial in a closed court. And okay, I understand that scepticism about that. And, you know, how can it be fair? But then at the same time, if the MI5 has got sources that could, that got reported by the by the media that compromise future you know, ongoing investigations or revealed how they caught them, that could be really damaging for our counterintelligence services. So mm. I, you, there's devil's advocate to play that yes, everyone should have a fair and open trial, which is or the right to a fair trial, but whether or not it has to be open for the media to report on is, is I don't know, because if there's a reason to not report on it, such as it would expose something that national interests are covering. So yeah, I, I find that really difficult to reconcile. Um... Because I, for me, I'm a big sort of kind of civil liberties person. I think you should always have a fair trial, and you there is have a cost fair trial. attached to that. It's whether it's, it's, it's whether or not we have we open up, or because I know some trials have been done openly, but then the part of it's had to be you no know, everyone out, only certain people are allowed in for that part of the trial. Because if MI5 are, are reporting to the judge and a jury, this is how we gather this information. If that got out of the court and the media go, oh look, the MI5 can do this to to do to stop your, these terrorist attacks. Terrorists are going, oh shit, we better change what we're doing, and that's mm-hmm. a step back for the intelligence services. You're right, civil liberties have been trampled, and I think there's always an argument about you know, where's the line between just spying on ordinary people and protecting them. And personally, there's nothing I think. In, on my computer in my browsing habits that if MI5 were looking at me I wouldn't care or they, they wouldn't see much I'd probably see a few stupid Facebook posts and a few me looking at memes all day you know but the moment and no the moment, that's, that's, I, the moment I go sashy socialist memes yeah. <laughs> and they're like no we're yeah. locking them up yeah. <laughs> or the moment I go to Amazon to buy a zinc tub some quick climb and a shovel you know that's maybe when MI5. don't get it all in one place mate um, I know, but you can get it on Prime. It's Amazon's new service, Amazon Psycho. <laughs> That's grim, man. And they also see like the smiling pile of poop onesie that we we looked up earlier. Yeah, um, I, which is a magical believe, thing. I can't believe that's a thing. A smiling poop onesie is the glory of capitalism, man. It's the glory of capitalism. <laughs> Not only that, you can buy some matching poop slippers and mugs to go with it. <laughs> you could have the full attire. I'm pretty sure that you could probably find underwear with the little emoji face on you it. You just want that, they must do a smiling pile of poop mask. And then you can just complete it. Well, the, the, and you the, can the be poop from a head to toe. Um, but yeah, so when it when it comes to, to like counterintelligence, I, I, 
I appreciate the work that they do every day. Oh God, they, those underwear do exist. Yeah. I mean, so so part of. I'm not going to make that comment. Um, part part of our society, or we all benefit from having a safe society. Yes. Um, and I think in the UK, actually, we don't have really a concept of civil liberty in the same way that America would do. No, we don't. Um, we, we've got the European Court of Human Rights, Human Rights and th they say that we're allowed to have privacy, but actually we never signed the Human Rights no, bit of law no. um, because it demands that we can have private property, which you can't have in the UK because it's all the Queen's. Um, and... Like MI five are in in a sense above the legal system. They, really? they I, I think they are actually. I think they have powers. Or MI six or somebody I think it has. might be MI six. I'm not sure. We're getting into real conspiracy territory there. But I think, from what I understand, they do have powers above. You know, I think they have powers even above Parliament. I don't. I think they might be kind of. I think they're answerable to the Queen. They're one of those special ones, which yeah. is just like. This is the Privy Council level yeah. stuff. Yeah, and um, there's, there's there's probably stuff in those meetings that would really be dangerous if it got out. Most of it's probably really boring. A lot of it's probably really boring. Probably a lot of it is a Russian submarine came this close to the shore. We're not reporting on it because it's not worth reporting on. Uh, because they have reported on it before, but it's stuff like that where it's like, oh, the Russian election's happening, Putin's done, done this or that, or, you know. And... They probably reported on Trump winning the election. That's probably in MI6's briefings about whether a liability he is or not. That's whether that was what was in those meetings. We don't. I don't know. We won't know. We won't ever know. And oh, be, oh, but certainly because the FBI and the CIA yeah. are up to it. So, well, yeah, the movements of certain you know, persons of interest with terrorist and criminal activities will be in those meetings. And obviously, if that person of interest knew, then they'd change what they were doing, or we'd lose sight of them. Mm. And I suspect that the location of people like the head of ISIS and um, even, you know, Saddam Hussein and, um, what's his name, Bin Laden's location was probably mentioned in those Privy Council meetings. Yeah, maybe. Um, I, I suspect that they didn't really know for a long time, but again, that's, that's pure speculation. I don't think they knew, and then the Americans probably found it and probably got to it quicker, quicker than we did. Well, it's always going to be the Americans, I think, that, w that would have had it, because we would yeah. have said to them, We'd have told do, you want to, do you want to get this guy, because it's, yeah. it's kind of your guy. Um, yeah. it, you know, if it, I, I don't know if you uh, listened to his podcast, but Joe Rogan... I haven't listened to it, no. Um, he had a guy in from the CIA, who's ex-CIA, yeah. and he, he talks about kind of British collaboration and American collaboration, yeah. and sort of the, the intelligence services are all almost always all on the same page, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of Britain, America, Canada, Australia, um, New Zealand, all the kind of... Commonwealth um, and America. Yeah, yeah, that, that sort of um, thing, we're all yeah, really close collaborators. Mm. Um, Even the Russians and Americans, I think they share a lot. I don't think they share everything, obviously, but I think they share a lot, especially about people like ISIS and... You know, like organised crime bosses and people like that, they probably have a good idea of where they are at any time. Like yeah, drug, drug smuggling rings and stuff like that. That sort of stuff. I, I 
would strongly suspect that they know where they, a lot of these people are at any one time. Whether or not they can go and get them or not is a different matter. I think it, when you, you're able to move armies, you know, it would be very easy to, to get these guys. But um, I suspect that a lot of it, how would I put it, if you took out the, the leader of ISIS, that wouldn't have an, an, an enormous impact. It would, no. it would have an impact, but it wouldn't Sometimes be... Sometimes it would be... On ice, what, what I would, what my opinion would be is sometimes it would be easier to leave the head intact despite the body because while that person's there, there's no power vacuum, there's no sudden civil war within the organisation that could cause more of a fever. If you get a new leader, that new leader could then call that, uh, you know, call the old leader a martyr, whip up a frenzy, and you get a new wave of recruits. Whereas if you keep the old leader in place, make that old leader look completely incompetent. Because mm. they say you can't kill an, kill an idea. You could blow up the leaders and as much yeah, as you can have a go. You can have a go. <laughs> if you if you make that idea look stupid through you know through humiliating them through defeats, making their leader look weak and not like the martyr and hero leader he's supposed to be, people will get disillusioned. I think that's what's happened. A lot of foreign fighters who went out to fight for ISIS have got really disillusioned. I think. Um, that's probably a discussion for another time because I I haven't read enough about terrorism or the the global response to terrorism to to be a well informed enough about it and have a legitimate opinion. Um, and I think that that kind of wraps it up. So I think that I'm wrong for eating meat. I, I think I'm wrong, but I'm going to carry on eating it anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Snap. Uh, so I'm very sorry. And <laughs> I'm not sorry. Not sorry. <laughs> and just, uh, yeah, food. British policing is cool, but not yes. perfect. No, it's never. It's never going to be perfect, but it can be the best that we can be. One, two, you know what to do. This is the goodbye song. Goodbye, goodbye. This is the goodbye song. Goodbye, goodbye. This is the goodbye song. Goodbye, goodbye.